Last week, we'd gotten, uh, we'd come close to finishing up in chapter 8, and I had kind of sped through uh, the the latter part up until I think I'd ended up at around verse 14, if I remember right, because I was talking about the dry ground, how that in verses, uh, I won't say it was 13 and 14, is 13 and 14, it speaks of the, the ground being dry. And I wanted to, to kind of back up there a little bit and, and, and talk about that for just a minute because I rushed through that right there at the end of class last week and I, and I wanted to, to, to bring out a point that I, I didn't bring out last week. But as I was talking about earlier, we are in Genesis and this is in chapter 8 and uh, we're going to be looking at verses <coughs> 13 and 14. Uh, to begin with and go on through from there. And uh, if you haven't been able to make it into the class lately, I mean, obviously what we're looking at here is in uh, is, is during the time of the flood, and this is Noah, he's still on the ark. And in verse 13, well, uh, uh, the verses prior to verse 13, we find Noah uh, sending out a raven and then sending out three doves. And ultimately, the last one uh, uh, did not return, uh, showing that that he was able to make it on his own out there, you know, without having to come back into the ark. And one of the things that I was wanting to bring out here is that even after Noah had done this, he had even uh, uh, said that he took off or removed the covering. Uh, there in verse 13, it talks about how that in the uh, 600th and first year, in the first month, in the first day of the month, uh, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And last week I made reference to how that this dry and the difference it was basically that there was the water was not on the earth, it was dry because it was there was no water standing there but in verse 14 which is a month and 27 days later uh, was the idea when when it talks about how the earth was dried is that it wasn't mushy it wasn't muddy anymore and they could be able to get out and walk around on it and the thought that I was wanting to bring out here more so is the aspect that even though Noah had sent out all the birds that he'd sent out, well, just you know, to test, <clears throat> to test and see uh, whether or not uh, the flood of waters had receded. After he had done that, even after he'd removed the covering, he looked for himself and say, "Hey, it was dry." He waited another month and twenty-seven days after he had even seen for himself that the, the ground looked to be dry until the Lord told him to come out of the ark, which I thought was pretty uh, important while I was wanting to back up and go through that. It's because in verse 15, we have, Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives, uh, with you, and to bring everything out, so all the animals and things he had on the on the ark to bring them all out, and, and so basically uh, they had unloaded the ark. But just the thought there of how that 
Noah, even after doing those things and seeing the ground, that he waited for God to tell him to come out of the ark. Um, I guess, in a way, he might have thought, well, he told me when to go in, so I'm going to wait for him and tell me when to come out. And so just um, wanted to bring that out in the thought process there. Yes, Jerry. Right. And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, maybe it just kind of gave him something to look forward to. Um, I'm not sure. But you know, if he wasn't going to wait until God had told him to come out, then I feel like that in verse 13 when he's removed the cover and said, hey, there ain't no water here. Let's go. <laughs> but I, I don't, you know. It could be. It could be that he had, it was giving him an idea of how much time was left. Uh, I like that. Anything else? Roger? Just human nature uh, to, to know what's going on, even though God is in control. Very good. Very good. Anything else? Uh, Karen? Yeah, I, I like that, what you just, what you said to begin with. What was that? Uh, work as if everything depends on you, but live as if everything depends on God, because it does. I like that. I've never heard that before. That's that's pretty good. <laughs> Nothing's rich. But no, that's 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 very good. I like that. All right. Anything else before we get on into uh, Noah coming off the ark and building an altar? <clears throat> Well, in verse 20, in verse 20 we have, it says, Then Noah built an ark, or built an ark. <laughs> Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings to on the altar. And in verse 21 it says, And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again destroy or never again curse the ground for man's sake although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth nor will I again destroy every living thing as he as I have done and goes on and talks about how while the earth remains seed time and harvest cold and heat winter and summer and day and night shall not cease now um just to point out a couple of things that are, are kind of interesting here is in verse 20 here is the first time that we hear of an, of an altar being built. So as we've discussed in the past, you know, that there must have been some kind of, a, of an idea or some kind of a way that, that God had uh, for man to worship him uh, before now in the aspect that we have clean and unclean animals, as we've spoke about before. Um, once again, as he's uh, built this altar to sacrifice, you know, um, obviously there was some kind of a way that that they knew that we don't have record of as far as how to sacrifice and how to uh, worship God. But also, I wanted to to um, point out that in verse twenty, well, twenty one or twenty two, no, twenty one. How that he says that he will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Um, interesting thought that I'd read about here was that this was not, uh, which I never really put it together personally, but 
I guess some people had. But this was not taking away the curse uh, that was placed there in Genesis chapter 3 as far as how that God had cursed the ground, uh, making it harder uh, for them to, to plant things. Uh, and that was in Genesis 3 and verse 17. Because you have indeed heard, heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I have commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground uh, for your sake, and told you shall eat uh, of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, and for dust you are, and dust you shall return. So this wasn't your God talking here in verse 21 wasn't removing the curse of the ground there, uh, but yet referencing how that he won't curse the ground and sending a flood over all of the earth again. And in verse 22, just referencing how that uh, the normal order uh, will continue in place. And uh, just another aspect that, that I'd read about here was talking about how that this doesn't, reference on how that he will never destroy the earth again, but yet that he will never destroy it or bring a flood completely on it uh, again. Because in Second Peter chapter 3, we read of how that uh, at the end of times that the earth will be destroyed um, and then have the, the day of judgment as well. But any thoughts or comments here? I feel like I've spoke a lot. With that, I, in... Because of the, in the way that I looked at it, I guess you can say, is back in Genesis chapter 6, in the verse, uh, towards the first part of it, it talks about how that, in verse 5, how that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was on evil continually. Um, the Lord is just basically pointing out here that even though we're not perfect, you know, that we will make mistakes that he's not going to destroy uh, everyone from the ground or every, everyone from the earth again, as he did here. Well, it, right, and that is a very interesting thought as far as how that the, the smell of a, of a dead animal a lot of times will have a, a terrible smell to it, and especially as you're offering as a sacrifice upon the fire, it, it even doesn't smell that great. But yet the... Like you had made mention of, though, the obedience of, of Noah and the uh, thankfulness that Noah was showing here in the fact that he had saved them and saved uh, his family through the, the flood is what was pleasing to God. So, but Jeremy, you had your hand up for a thought there. Mm-hmm. And, and to add on with that, as far as the idea that, that God doesn't have nostrils in the sense that he can smell it uh, in that way. The same reason that just because something might smell good or seem good to us doesn't necessarily mean that it's uh, appropriate uh, or that it's pleasing to God uh, in that idea. And we can go back to um, Nadab and about it, yes, and how that they had offered a strange uh, incense uh, to the Lord, one that, the Lord didn't command them to offer, but yet, you know, in their minds might have been like, you know what, this is going to smell great. This is going to be awesome. Uh, 
and and they did it. And even though it wasn't, it might have been good in their minds, but it wasn't good uh, in God's eyes, and God struck them dead. So, just side note there. Thought very good thought process there as far as how the the animal might not have smelled too good to us, but yet it was the obedience and. In chapter 9, at the very beginning of it, um, we have how that uh, Noah's family was to fill the earth. And in filling the earth, it's because it, well, let me just read it. So, God's, uh, so God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Um, the, in one of the thoughts that I wanted to bring out here is to fill the earth. That means that you're not going to, to congregate in one spot and stay there in that one spot, but yet to spread out, to continue to fill the earth as you continue to, to uh, multiply and have kids and what have you, is to, to continue to fill the earth. And I wanted to bring that thought process out because of what's going to be coming up in, in a couple of chapters from now. But here in verse, in in. in Going on into verses 2 and 3, we find that uh, God also gives, uh, gives mankind, anyhow, the, or puts the fear of mankind into all the animals, which I thought about this whenever we was talking about sending the doves out, how that the dove had come out and, and actually rested you know, on Noah's hand or arm or however it worked out, and Noah had brought the dove back into the ark. Um, and how that here we find that the fear of all the animals uh, were going to be put into, into them. But then in verse 3, it talks about how that God has given the animals uh, to us for food as well, just as he had given us the, uh, the green herbs, as it says in, chapter, or in verse 3. Um, and then in verse 4, it brings out an interesting point on how that when we eat the flesh to make sure that the life is not in it, uh, because the, uh, and that is the blood, uh, because the blood is, is what gives it the life, <clears throat> which we can obviously turn around and, and think about the idea of how that it is in the blood that we have life, and it is through Christ's blood that we have life. Uh, everlasting life it could be but at the same time we don't at least and I could be wrong on this but we don't have uh, uh, stated in Genesis how that when someone kills someone else that they're going to die that they should die capital punishment so when Cain had killed Abel Cain should have died uh, because in the very next verse we have the aspect of how that even animals it talks about uh, you know that there will be a reckoning uh, which actually that's in italics for me as far as uh, reckoning, uh, that, that someone's to kill someone else, then they should be killed. Uh, as far, and this is obviously an innocent blood uh, because if you just say, well, if you kill someone, then you should be killed, then you know, that can just keep going. You know, say, you know, I kill someone in innocent blood, and, and then someone kills me. Well, they need to be killed and what have you. But anyhow, we're talking about innocence. Right, and, and that's what I was trying to say, is that it, it's, it's innocence. What, if, if you weren't thinking about the innocent aspect, it would, yes, it's the innocent aspect that you've got to think about here. I guess that brought us down to the end of verse 7.
talking about um, <clears throat> the idea of uh, whoever sheds man's blood, shall, uh, that man shall be uh, killed as well. And it be fruitful and multiply in verse 7. So in verse 8, we have then uh, God spoke to Noah and to his sons uh, with them saying, and here we have him uh, establishing the covenant as far as the the uh, how that he will never flood the earth again. And the thought here that I thought was interesting here is in chapter 7 and verse 21, it talks about, it says that, then the Lord said, in his heart, I will never curse the ground, and talks about all those things that we just talked about. But here, in, uh, starting in verse 8, we have God setting up the covenant and then putting the rainbow in place here. Just so that we're familiar with it, I, I'm just going to go ahead and read, uh, starting in verse 8. It says, Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I will... I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the, of the earth with you, of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth. Thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall... There be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all the flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. So here we have God setting up this covenant, and it's not just with Noah, but with everyone, with, uh, as it says in verse 12, for perpetual generations, for all future generations, uh, we have this, this as a sign, and that is the rainbow uh, that we still see today. It's not uh, uh, just a, a fairy tale as far as a, a, what they, um, a leprechaun with a pot of gold at the end of it or anything, but this is a sign that God had set up uh, uh, remembering the flood and how that he will not ever uh, destroy the earth again with the, with the flood. Um, yes, sir. Was this, was this the only covenant as far as what he set up at this time? Well, right here in these verses, he sets up the covenant as far as uh, how that he won't destroy the, the earth with the flood again. Um, now, I mean, we've set up other covenants here in prior times uh, as far as different things that, that God has pointed out. but Right, right, because he told them that if you eat from the tree, then um, then uh, then you'll die. Uh, and, and things of that sort. Yes. 
Right. It was it was more of a command, I guess you can say, uh, at that time, not so much a, a covenant in a sense. This was a covenant that God is setting up, and it's a, and it's a promise that God is giving us that he will never destroy the earth again uh, with a flood. And Right. Well, it, when God sets a, a covenant, because God cannot lie and God is, 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 is perfect in all that he does, um, he's not going to go back on this covenant. So this isn't something that we have to worry about as far as um, him going against his word or, or, or doing wrong. But this is a, a promise, and, and this is a promise that we can we can be sure about, that we can uh, be confident about, that God will not destroy the earth with a flood again, because this is God making this, this promise uh, to us. So does that help you out at all? So, but the idea here of the rainbow, though, I, I found it kind of interesting that in many times it's, it's referenced as far as a rainbow as God's glory. Uh, for instance, in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 3, uh, and in Revelation chapter 10 and verse 1, and also in Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 28, <coughs> it all speaks of, of, of <coughs> well, I'll just give you, Ezekiel 1 and 28 says, like the appearance of a rainbow in a cloud uh, on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, I fell on my face. I fell on my face, and I heard a voice of one speaking. And uh, so, as we as we see the rainbow being a promise uh, to us, it's also showing uh, in other passages as far as the rainbow uh, showing the glory of God. All right, so this is one of the best signs that we can we can uh, show of God's promise because it is a a sign that He puts in the sky uh, that we can see and and remember. Absolutely, I was really hoping to get down through the rest of this this chapter, but there's a lot of information in this last little part of this chapter uh, that I was going to bring out that uh, that I like. So I'm going to go ahead and. And close up if nobody else has any comments or concerns or what have you. Thank you very much for all your comments.